yeah, I feel it's very much about looking within and sorting out what you need and what you don't need and not taking not taking any more from the outside than you actually need and working out what your parameters are and you know not being um not being greedy this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep summer is here christmas is coming and there is more optimism than we've seen in the last two years. Who better to talk summer and Christmas than a deep in the weeds favourite, a national treasure, one of Australia's very best chefs and restaurateurs, Annie Smithers. Annie, how are you? Well, I'm a little... I'm a, <laughs> that's a curious question this week. Um, I have finally succumbed and am sitting at home uh, in isolation because I have tested positive to COVID. Well, we contacted you to talk about the big C word meaning, meaning Christmas, and it turns out we're talking about the other C word that's been around for the last two years. Um, yeah, it's it's not quite the Christmas bonus I wanted, Huck, but, <laughs> um, you know, it, uh, I think that we're all uh, adjusting to this new world and there's a, a pall of inevitability about it. Um, and I think the only thing that you can do is just say, well, them's the breaks and uh, look forward to when I'm allowed to uh, go back to work, when I've stopped wheezing. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, it's um, affecting the sort of summer and Christmas that you're going to have for this small period of time. But what did it feel like when you got the news and that you may have COVID and that, and that you do? Um, the, it's a look. It's a it's a process, and it is a thing that is you know the 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 reality is is that um, yeah symptoms crop up and you think oh yeah oh maybe um, and then you think oh you're racked with guilt so you uh, you know, you go and get a test and there's a certain um, there's a certain freedom in that time between. Uh, having the test and then getting the results. Um, but both both me and my wife have got it, so we're the only ones in our house. So I think that sort of there was a bit of, you know, we sort of hoped, hoped against hope on the day that we had our tests and then first thing in the morning, you know, we got the call from the health saying, you know, you have, you have both tested positive. And it's pretty crushing because I think, um, you know, for me it's certainly that, um, uh, that process of going through of, well, you, you have to put a lot of wheels in motion on a professional level um, and given given the nature of my restaurant, which is so small, it's, um, you know, in some ways that's a blessing, in some ways, you know, it's finally come undone that I'm the only one that cooks because if I'm not there, it's not there. So it is a, look, it's a bit of a, I think you, you put all your adrenaline into getting it all sorted and then you sit back and you actually think, oh, great. <laughs> you know, as if, as if the last two years couldn't get worse, here we go, two weeks before Christmas, cancelling every service. And you just, as I said, it's a, there's a sort of grim inevitability about it. And I just have to, you don't, it's, it's not a pleasant thing to be suffering from. It's a... 
um, the thing that I'm finding most challenging is that I have, you know, I have lost my sense of taste. So, yeah, hopefully that um, that springs back. So you lose your taste and you lose your appetite and your breathing's pretty challenged. But um, it's, um, I think it's, it's, it, it, it's a look. It, I think you go through an existential crisis with it of sort of oh. <laughs> so yeah, but let's move on to more cheerful things than having COVID. <laughs> well, well, it is summer. Although there's a lot of rain about, it'll be it's hard to tell. But well, what does summer mean to you in regards to you know your garden and and. And food. Well, for the past two years, you know, we've been in La Nina events. So I think sort of when we first spoke, you know, all that time ago when COVID had first hit and we were, you know, the bushfires were still, you know, the, the impact of that really hot summer and the bushfires and the burning um, was still there. So since then, you know, over these, over these two years is we've had incredibly mild weather and for us in the yeah you know, in the highlands of Victoria, has it meant that we actually haven't had to we haven't had a spring for two years, so we had we had fires lit last weekend. I think about a month ago we had a little flurry of snow, so this is the first couple of weeks that we've had real any real warmth. So everything is pretty slow in our garden. Um, simply because the ground's so cold and the ambient temperature has been so cool. So where but the polytunnel is um, heaving with uh, new growth of you know, cucumbers and lettuces because I, I, I can't go to work. I have to give all my beautiful prized butter lettuce to my chickens. They don't mind, but I do. Um, so it's, it's been a beautiful lettuce for, for a beautiful season for lettuces and things, you know, cool climate, things like that. Um, but it's sort of, it is that beautiful, positive sense of us, the weather really does start to warm up and it has been, you know, really, you know, for, for us poor Victorians, yeah, it's been pretty grim having two really long winters. So it brings a sense of optimism and joy and that sense of actually really wanting to go outside and do things because we it's been a bit chilly. What sort of uh, fruit and vegetables do you look forward to uh, usually in summer um, that you, you feature in the restaurant? Well, right now I'm picking the first the first of the season strawberries, and they always um, they're they're that first sort of real sense of summer and sweetness, and something that's warmed by the sun and is lush and delicious, and it's just that's that's the first fruit that comes for us. And then we move. Then we move into um, raspberries, loganberries, and silverberries. So the berries are, you know, the berries um, have delighted in the current weather conditions and are just exceptional. So at the moment, it's strawberries and the raspberries are. They're a bit late this year, but they're hot on the heels of the. Um, of the strawberries, um, beautiful crops of uh, peas, snow peas, uh, the cool climate things that are just absolutely delightful. Um, as I said, lettuces. Um, I love my lettuces. I just love growing heading lettuces. I I think that they are a you know how we've moved into sort of all this cut and come again lettuce, and you know that 
the absolute deliciousness of a freshly picked butter lettuce or we grow a an iceberg called Randa Glace, the ice queen. So it's you know those those perfect dense sweet crisp delicious lettuces and they they in in turn are sort of that real harbinger of summer because it's sort of sal- you know we shift from you know cold weather food to all the beautiful salads so they make me very happy and yeah lots of lots of herbs are around you know the the summer savory the chives the chervil's just finishing the tarragons in full force the yeah the parsley it's just a um it's it's that extraordinary time post the bleakness of winter where you're reminded you know, you're like a kid in a lolly shop being reminded of all those beautiful tastes and smells and um delights that the warmer weather brings Speaking of being a kid, what, what was the Christmas period like for you as a kid? Was, is there any feasts or memories you can share with us? Um, as a kid, uh, my mum always put on a on a, a very uh, non traditional spread. Um, she'd she'd uh, I remember we had quail one, you know, boned quail one year. Um, so you know, it was always um, we didn't we. She always glazed a ham. Um, but other than that, there were, you know, there was not, you know, specific Christmas traditions. So it was sort of more a, a fancy 70s dinner party type menu, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but I think sort of the, the Christmas that, you know, still links back, you know, almost to childhood is the Christmas that was, I think, the year that I was first an apprentice. So that must have been, yeah, the Christmas of 1984. And mum was, uh, was teaching at the time and one of her students asked her, you know, and this sort of, you know, knowing, knowing my life as you do now, it sort of is the full circle of things. One of her students asked her in, I don't know, about September or October, Mrs Smithers, Mrs Smithers, would you like a goose for Christmas? We're breeding geese. And mum thought, oh, yes, that would be lovely. I'll have a goose. Um, so she said yes to this kid and um, the week of Christmas, the kid turned up at mum's house with a sack and in the sack was a goose, but it was a live goose. Wow. Yeah. So my mother um, rang me and said, well, you're a chef now. You deal with it. <laughs> and I sort of, I was 18 and pretty green. I think perhaps I was probably a bit full of myself if she thought that that was my um, capabilities. But at the time, I was great friends with a woman who worked at a restaurant in Carlton, and I was living in Carlton. And there was a restaurant in Carlton for a million years called The Bullfrog, and it was a classic French bistro run by a classic Frenchman called Jean-Yves. And so Penny asked Jean-Yves if he could help me. He said yes. So I went to went out to home, got the goose, got in the sack, put it in the back of the car. Um, that was a bit fraught because I think at the time I was driving a little Austin Healey, so it was a soft top and I was a bit worried about the goose getting out. Um, so the goose came back to me with Carlton. I went to Jean-Yves. He um, took the goose out of the sack, muttered a few French uh, 
you know, you know, swear words at it. <laughs> um, yeah, assessed it, you know, proclaimed it to be a, a half-decent bird and then duly chopped its head off and then set me up on a milk crate in a wet area at the back and set me to plucking the beast. And all I remember to this day, all I remember, the only thing I remember about the actual bird and the cooking process and things was I was very disappointed with how small the breasts were. But all I really remember was the sea of white feathers that seemed, it seemed to be an interminable process to actually pluck a goose. So it sort of, um, I don't know whether it scarred me or inspired me or any of those things, but I don't, um, it gave me my first taste of, uh, I suppose, that incredibly real thing that, you know, almost 40 years on is that whole paddock to plate ethos, isn't it? How do you like to celebrate Christmas these days? Do you cook something familiar every year or do you go out on a limb like that your mum did and, and do something different? Um, well, it depends on whether it's a year that I'm um, – cooking at work or cooking at home. So if I'm cooking at work and we're actually doing Christmas for paying customers, uh, it's it's fully traditional in terms of, you know, I'll, I'll smoke fish and I'll glaze hams and, you know, sometimes I'll have a suckling pig or sometimes I'll have, you know, pork loins rolled or, you know, and then I'll, then I'll have a dessert buffet of all the Christmas favourites. And that's that's my favourite, so pudding and Bouche Noel and you know, just on and on and on it goes. It's sort of, you know, Christmas cake and mince pies and all the thing, cheddar and fruit cake and uh, just, yeah, trifle and, oh, it's, I love it. I love all of that stuff. Um, Christmas at home is a little different because um, there's now two vegans and a vegetarian. Um, so it's sort of uh, – it's lots of non-traditional um, vegan Christmas things, um, which is not um, – look, you know, in some ways I prefer to be at work and sort of snacking on a bit of ham. <laughs> Um, but then it is that trade-off of sort of having Christmas with family. But I think the thing the thing that I love most about Christmas mm. is Christmas pudding. What makes a great Christmas pudding? A good Christmas pudding. Look, I actually, I actually make a pudding that is uh, it's a it's a slight variation of the uh, very lovely Nigella Lawson's uh, Christmas pudding, uh, and it has prunes and currants and sultanas, uh, prunes and currants and sultanas, apple butter, um, you know, all the things. Um, where she uses various sorts of alcohol, I use a lot of armagnac, and I think that that's that's you know that. That combination of prunes and armagnac for me is sort of that quintessential Gascony, you know, delight, which is, you know, it's part of it's part of a region of the world that I love so deeply. But the I mean the thing the most important thing I find with puddings is that it is how you prepare the fat 
and it is yeah for me to get the texture right it is that integral thing that that incredibly important thing where you i use butter in mine um not la- uh, not um suet um but i always i always grate the butter so that it it forms that same texture that you get when you grate suet and it's a uh, yeah, it just allows the pudding to have that that traditional t- texture, and because I tend to put a few more prunes in it, so it you know it's more of a a plum pudding as opposed to a fruit pudding, is it just allows that little bit of space for the whole magic of the pudding to uh, do its thing, and I like mine with plain pure cream, beautiful Schultz Dairy Cream from down here in Timboon, down at Timboon. <laughs> I'm definitely going to have to find a flight and uh, experience this. <laughs> well, well, listen, if you're really lucky, because I've got because I've got two weeks of Christmas puddings in my fridge, I could send you one. <laughs> then you could just then you could just then you could just uh, boil it up on the day and have a bit of Annie Smith's Christmas cheer. <laughs> well, I can tell you now that the family would would appreciate that than anything that I would be able to pull together. Uh, well, let, let's face it. Seeing I'm seeing I'm in isolation, um, not much is going to happen. So let's see what I can sort out for you. Well, one of the amazing things that you did do this year was release a, a book that everyone should have. It's absolutely stunning, a beautiful read. It's called Recipe for a Kinder Life. Tell us a little bit about about the book. Um, it's a look. It's I was asked to write it post bushfires. So Thames and Hudson, who published it, um, they were in, I think just before Christmas in 2019, they were having an editor's meeting and they felt that there was a mood for more more, more non narrative nonfiction for people you know, choosing to try and live a little bit more sustainably. And Sally Heath, who became my editor on the project, said, oh, look, Annie would Annie be good at that. Um, so they approached me to write it. Um, by the time that it was ironed out, all the all that stuff that you have to go through, um, it was just on the cusp of COVID hitting. So, what was I think meant to be a fairly, I think initially it was meant to be a fairly you know short, sweet little you know exercise in sort of how to live a little bit more sustainably. It got sort of the whole narrative got hijacked by that process that I was going through with that first first um, six months of COVID. So it became a little bit more of a manifesto on where we're at and, or where I, I see that we're at and what I do on a, on a small scale on that, that what some would call naive, but that notion of the fact that we can't, you know, we can't, um, we can't sustain the planet if we can't sustain ourselves. And it talks, it talks at um, length about climate and water, and there's a bit about mental health, and there's a bit about there's a backstory of sort of the curiosities of uh, living in the restaurant industry and the pressures that that puts on you. It's fairly honest. Um, in terms of the fact that it's not always easy. And then there's great swathes of it that are growing things and cooking things and delighting in, you know, actually having your hands in the dirt and being connected connected to the food source. But I think the most, the mo- and the most important message that 
you know, I feel is in it is that if you can't sustain yourself within your work, your own work, practices and life practices, we've got no hope at all of sustaining the planet. So it's about, yeah, I feel it's very much about looking within and sorting out what you need and what you don't need and not taking not taking any more from the outside than you actually need and working out what your parameters are and, you know, not being, um, not being greedy. She says as she, you know, looks towards Christmas. We're allowed to be greedy at Christmas, aren't we? So, so it, um, it was a beautiful book to write uh, and it was, um, it, it's, uh, it's, yeah, I, I'm very proud of it and I, I th- you know, in some ways I think, you know, thank, well, not thank God we had COVID, but it was a, a, a lovely thing to have as an exercise over that first sort of six to nine months of COVID. It's a beautifully rich book and, as you mentioned, has threads of growing food and incredible recipes in it as well as a, the, a way to look at and reflect and look inwards about your own life. Did, did the process of pulling it together have an impact on you? In terms of whether there was a lot of navel-gazing? <laughs> <laughs> I think it it made me realize it made me realize how um, through through hard work, um, good fortune, kind and generous people around me that I live an incredibly rich and beautiful life. Um, it's not without its it's not without its difficulties and its curiosities and its things to cope uh, the things to cope with. I think that it is a it made me think a lot about um, how the restaurant operates and I think that we, you know, over these last two years that anybody in, you know, anybody who runs a small hospitality business is as, is as tired and as um, at, 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 at the end of their tether as uh, I probably am in terms of trying to work out what it is that, makes a good hospitality business and what makes it work in these this climate and i feel that sort of the the reality is is that i have a a beautiful model that works incredibly well uh, it has stumbled at the last hurdle of 2021 with me coming down with covid but um Regardless of that, I feel that the you know the industry is shifting very you know it's it's shifting incredibly quickly to people making a lot of decisions about how their restaurant or their bakery or their food store or whatever how it can work for them better because they understand now that the if it doesn't work for the people who own and operate it is you're never going to be doing anything other than treading water. So, you know, this it it's almost it's almost as if the whole this whole crisis has empowered a lot of us to actually say, "Nah, this is how I'm going to run my shop and hopefully there'll be enough people who like the way that I run it to keep it viable and profitable." But and those that don't like that model, they don't have to come. So there's a there's been a freedom in these couple of years, you know, and for me, I got to analyse it very, you know, on a very close level by actually writing, you know, 
um, recipe for a kind of life. But I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of us who do own, you know, small businesses, small restaurant businesses and um, hospitality businesses, is we've come out. Yeah, you know, we've got to this point, and we're pretty. We're we, it's like our, you know, if we if we were the blade of the knife, we're pretty honed right now. We we know we know what makes a sharp edge. It's been a pretty um, traumatic and fascinating and revealing two years. What are you hoping for in twenty twenty two? Well, <laughs> well, I'm hoping I don't have to shut my shop. <laughs> It would nice. It would be really nice to have a whole year of uninterrupted um, trading. Uh, my prediction is, as much as I hope that that's going to happen, I I am not convinced that we won't have another tough winter. Um, and that that is, it's it's very much like. Yeah, for me, it's very resonant of observing the seasons and the patterns of the seasons. And I spoke about the fact that this is our second La Nina event. So what I learned from last year has come into play this year in terms of how I will sow stuff, what my sowing windows are, what I understand about the temperature of the dirt, the temperature of the air, how the how all of vegetables and fruits, you know, your work when the climate shifts for a year or two years or whatever. So running the restaurant is pretty much the same. I think that, um, you know, I look at overseas right now and look at, you know, that there is there is trouble in Europe and it's the same pattern that we went through this time last year. So I feel that um, for this winter there's there'll be a lot of planning for, uh, you know, the worst case scenario. And we all live on, I mean, we all live on the hope that and the positivity that it won't be the case. But I think having weathered the last two years is it would be a fool's errand not to consider the worst case scenario again. And also be, I think that, you know, the onus will very much be on the business hold, the business owners uh, this time round because there'll be less less government assistance and all of those sort of things. So it's it's about making plans and you know being being incredibly careful and aware of the fact that this is what can happen. And you know, if it doesn't, you've got you know you've got you've saved some money and you've put stuff aside and you've and you've worked very diligently to be as yeah, careful as you can. And if it does happen, it takes away the stress and the um, horror of it all because we've done it before and we'll do it again. If we have to do it again, I think a lot of us will have the capacity to see it through. And that in itself, I think, you know, as, as you know, it may sound negative and foreboding, but I think, you know, in recognising the problem, at least we're aware of it now and we know what we have to do. And that's that's a much that's a so much stronger point to start from than anything that we've weathered in the past two years. I know the circumstances at the moment are, are not ideal. You've um, you've got COVID and it's affected the operations of the restaurant uh, significantly. Um, do, do you have any plans um, for this little period now that you can't open the restaurant? Um, well, COVID makes you very tired. <laughs> um, so I, um, I, 
I because because no one can come here. I have my beautiful routines in the morning of. Uh, yeah, letting all the animals out, letting all the animals in, um, feeding things, setting up sprinklers. You know, I'm heading off to pick strawberries after I finish speaking to you. Um, so I think I think the thing is is that despite not feeling you know tickety boo, is again it's that it's you know I, I live in a beautiful place and I have a beautiful life and it's it's leaning on that and remembering that that and just accepting the fact that this is this is how it is and enjoying the space that I'm in rather than because nothing nothing can change you know it's not you know I can't I can't change the fact that I can't operate my 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 restaurant it doesn't yeah you know, worrying about it isn't going to change the fact that it's closed again so I just have to get on and, you know, um, be positive and, you know, wheeze my way through all the uh, the chores I have to do. <laughs> well, Annie, it's an absolute pleasure, as always, to catch up with you. Um, hopefully, um, you're not uh, ill for, for much longer and you can get back to doing what you do, which is absolutely magic work. Honoured to have you on. Please have an amazing Christmas and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Lovely to speak with you. Happy Christmas to you and all all the Deep in the Weeds family. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.